are you drinking out of the McDonald's Return of the Jedi glass? Is that um, what I saw? <laughs> no, it's the Great Muppet Caper. Awesome. Um, oh, that's I'm a, awesome. I'm a big Muppets fan. Awesome. That is that wasn't like a McDonald's or Burger King freebie though, wasn't it? He, yeah, like, I think it was McDonald's. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. All right, here we go. Let's get this going. Here we are. Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. My usual co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate, is on one of his many vacations. So for this episode, we have a repeat revisitor. You might remember him from the Marvin Gaye episode we did on What's Going On. He is the pod father from the Pods and Sods Network. Welcome back to the podcast, Eric Miller. Thanks for having me. You're, uh, he, if he's your usual co-host, I'm your unusual co-host. So I, that, a- Absolutely. Glad to you're, be back. You're like Cindy Lauper. You're so unusual. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He was a referral from a recent guest, Parker Chapin. He's been releasing some singles recently, including Birdies and Tabloid World. Please welcome to the podcast, Ruben Bedez. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. But did I say it right? Bedez. <clears throat> There's lots okay. of mispronunciations, but you got it right. Fantastic. I'm, uh, I- I've mentioned this on a couple episodes where I have serious anxiety when it comes to pronunciation of my guests. Yes, because uh, I've, I've been known to slaughter a few, so um, I'm glad I nailed it. So, Well, now I know how to pronounce Parker's last name, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. Uh, so um, I'm going to start with Eric. So what T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing a Living Color Time's Up T-shirt. Uh, it's not a vintage one. It's from a more recent, uh, you know, merch run that they did. But uh, Living Color, any chance I get? Greatest bands ever. Yep, and you have uh, you have definitely promoted them a lot on your on your podcast. So um, yeah, great band. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw them do something at a it's a five hundred songs for kids uh, thing in Atlanta. I think some members of them actually performed. Oh, nice! Wow, yeah, I was lucky. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, they're boy the they're one of those bands where the sum is greater than the whole of the parts, or the whole is greater mm-hmm. than some of the parts. Like every one of those four guys is just absolutely incredible individually, and then together. So yeah, any any chance you get to see them, you know, any combination, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm guessing Doug might have been the one that went down there. Doug Wimbish, he does a, a lot of that stuff. So very cool. Yeah. Very good. All right, Ruben, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? So I'm wearing my, um, so it looks like it's just a Dolly Parton shirt, but um, it's actually my Sandlot baseball team, the Nashville Dollies. Okay. Um, I I joined a baseball team <laughs> cool. um, about two years ago, right before the pandemic, and uh, it's been a revitalizing activity for me in my 30s. And um, we have great merch, as you can see. <laughs> right, love it. That's great, great. You're gonna have to t- you're gonna have to take a picture of that so I can share that on the socials there. Definitely, so. 
That's Definitely. awesome. That's a cool one. So I'm wearing a shirt that um, you probably can see in the, that it looks like a Fleetwood <laughs> Mac t-shirt. It's actually a, a Johnny Cupcakes t-shirt. It's called Fleetwood Snack, and it's the uh, it's a it's a little mock-up of the uh, the Rumors album cover. This was a birthday present from my co-host Wayne, um, and of course I'm wearing it on a, <laughs> on an episode that he's not even on. So he's still here. It, he's he'll probably listen because he gets he gets a little bit of um uh, guest co-host envy. Oh yeah, because he's like yeah, <laughs> you're cheating. Yeah, so, and uh, when I told him that I was going to get a guest co-host, because he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be home um, from vacation. He's like, I, I might be pushing it. And I'm like, I'll just get co-host, make sure that we're, we're good. And and then, um, yeah, as as soon as he found out that it was we were going to cover 18 songs, he was like, oh, OK, well, that's that's cool that Eric is going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> do you want so. me to uh what's the thing was it was it dulcinea do you want me to like crap on dulcinea in his absence was that the record that he that that was one that he crapped on and, right. and glenn glenn um glenn glenn kind of just laughed it off glenn phillips from toad the wet sprocket just kind of laughed it off and he goes you know i listened to a couple of your episodes and um i think i'd be friends with 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 wayne so, so that 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 gave Wayne even a little more anxiety. Where he's like, "Oh crap! If we talk about Toad again, I'm gonna have to like be nice." Um, so, anyways, so so Ruben, I I did a little social media stalking of you, uh-huh. as you do. So, as so, we all so, do. So, a couple things. So, I saw that you sang the national anthem recently at an Atlanta Braves game. I sure did. How how'd you get that gig? Uh, believe it or not, um, it was an f- old friend from Atlanta. Um, he actually is a youth pastor at a church down in Atlanta. Okay. And um, I actually used to play a um, good bit of church music um, when I lived in Atlanta. And so became friends with him. And he reached out to me one day and was like, hey, you, didn't, you would never like want to sing the national anthem at a Braves game, would you? <laughs> I was like, uh you're talking yeah. about a lifelong fan here. And um, believe it or not, I had never sang the national anthem at any sporting event okay. in my entire career. And I've, I've always been ready. It's like <laughs> I was the Boy Scout. Just <laughs> I had that patch. I didn't I don't have many patches, but I had the national anthem patch. Yeah, I was ready to go. And so I was like, yeah, uh, let's do it. And so next thing I know, I'm there. And it, it was uh, – and I – you know, I don't get nervous very often performing, but that one was maybe the most nerve-wracking performance of all time. You did a good job. Well, thank you. Yeah, you you did post it, so if you did... Yeah, I was a, proud enough. Yeah, if you did a crappy job, you wouldn't have been posting that on the social media, so... No, but in uh, fun, like, techno sound guy kind of fun fact here the delay singing in an, in an arena like that or a stadium like that is insane it's like a full second yeah delay and i'm so glad that i went and sound checked because it took some getting used to um but i just like i was like i'm just gonna play off it kind of like a daniel lanois washing <laughs> delay <laughs> and uh and what they don't tell you is the adrenaline rush. And I mean, I, I was holding the microphone and you should have seen my hand. Yeah. I was just trim, trembling. 
That's that that's awesome. So life lifelong Braves fan. Lifelong Braves fan. I've, okay. I've followed other teams. Uh, one of my best friends is a baseball player, and so um, whatever team he's on at the time, I followed them as well. And so, uh, but the Braves have always had my heart. So, and they've broken my heart a few times too. Yeah. Who's your friend? Uh, his name's Colin McHugh. He's a yeah. pitcher. He's with the Tampa Bay Rays now. So might be uh, coming down to Florida to see a game soon. Perfect. All right. Well, let me know when you go. I'll 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 meet you there. All right. Let's go. I'm also a big baseball fan. You you may have uh, seen in our feed that uh, we had a Brave on a, a few months ago. So Dale Murphy came on our podcast to talk about Wilco. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the I guess number one players, particularly the '80s. I mean, he was a standard of excellence. He was the guy. Yeah, he yeah. was the guy. Yeah. Love him. That was that was a uh, that was a that, that was a proud moment for me that I'm like uh, we're we're we we can get other people besides musicians musicians to come on yeah podcast and in fact m- most of the time the real music fans aren't musicians <laughs> right right that's yep. how it is were you nervous that it, were you nervous that he was going to pick like some crazy record like he actually picked a pretty cool record right like what if he just said I want to do like the Dirty Dancing soundtrack or something that's like well, here here's the one thing that I don't know if um if I if I let out of the bag too much. So we we originally were supposed to record with him like a year and three months ago, I think it was. It was like right before um the twenty twenty season was supposed to start. Um and then of course, you know, COVID COVID happens. He originally had picked Hall and Oates' "Abandoned Luncheonette" hmm, because because that was a album that he listened to all the time when he was in the minors. Hmm. And we recorded we recorded the interview portion, and then um, he had to go. Like we didn't finish the episode. And he was like, "We'll we'll re-record the, the 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 ending part. We'll talk about the record." Well, he gets back to me about a month later and goes, I'm re-listening to this album, and there's a few songs that really creep me out. <laughs> do you think that we could do something else? And I'm like, sure. What What do you want to pick? And and he stewed on it for a while. Cool. And I'm like, look, hey, I, I know you're a Wilco fan. You want to do a Wilco record? And so mm-hmm. he picked Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and... Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was that's that was, cool. That, that was that was a fun time. Cool. Better than he he didn't come back with like Gerardo's record or Samantha Fox uh, Naughty Girls right. uh, yeah. extended LP. Yeah, no, yeah, none of none of that stuff. None of that. Stuff. Well, you, what would you do? Would you have to like course correct your guests? This is apologies if this is inside baseball. Um, I've only course corrected a handful, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to <laughs> say names. But there were, but That's on the retirement show. Yeah, there were there were a few selections that were like, no, we can't. I I just can't do right. that. There was one guy who tried to pick a Frank Zappa record, and I'm like, I'm I'm not I'm not the podcast for that. <laughs> so so not even Ruben and the Jets. You wouldn't do that one. Uh, no. No. And 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 what's what's really funny is he sent me he sent me after we um we had a really good 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 uh 
good episode. He sent me one of the records, um, and I can't see it from where I'm at, but he sent me one of the Zappa records, and he was like, this is, this is where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, give this a listen. And I listened to it. It's, it's fine. It's just not my thing. Right on. Like Understood. it's too, it's just too experimental for me. So I'm okay with a little experiment, but <sighs> Zappa, man, he's, I don't know. I'm probably offending more Zappa fans by saying <laughs> this, but, uh, you guys Zappa fans at all? Casually, uh, you know, okay. I understand there's a whole, it's a deep pool and I have barely waited in it. Yeah. Ruben. Yeah, I the, the only reason I knew Ruben and the Jets is because my name's Ruben and right and right. someone I can't remember who did it. Some brewery did a Ruben and the Jets like special edition bottle of something, okay. and I still have it. Haven't opened it. It's probably like ten uh-huh. years old now. Probably tastes really good now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, other things that I found out about you. So. Um, Joe Biden used one of your songs in some of his campaign ads. Yeah, that was a that was a wild few weeks there. Um, my uh, I work with a um, a company called um, <laughs> sorry I work with a company called Academy Fight Songs, and they are kind of a placement sync licensing company. Yeah. And they um, sent me a crazy email and they're like, hey, Joe Biden wants to use one of your songs. And I kind of was like, all right, well, it's probably a Facebook ad or something like that. Um, Because this was in the heat of, I feel like we were quickly approaching election day. This was probably like September, August, September, right around there. And uh, so I figured they're cranking out ads constantly. And so... They're like back and forth in um, with me on like editing the song. It was just going to be instrumental, which was fine. Um, at the end of the day, I was just like, "This is a really cool thing to be a part of," and yeah. um, and so they came back and I'm like, "Yep, they'll, they'll take it." And I was like, "Do you know when it's coming out?" They're like, "We have no idea. It's theirs now. Uh, we'll let you know." And so I'm like constantly checking Joe's Instagram like every day to see. <laughs> <laughs> if um, if he's used it, and I, I I guess I eventually kind of forgot about it, and then we were sitting there, me and my girlfriend in the living room, and she was like, "Oh, it's up," and I was like, "Are you serious?" And yeah, she's like, "Yeah, it's right here." So we're watching it on his Instagram and listening to it. There's like this nice, like intense voiceover um, over top of the music, and you know, I'm like, "Man, that voice! It sounds so familiar." the version I had been working with was just like somebody reading the script over the song right. for timing purposes. And I was, I turned to my girlfriend and I was like, I, that sounds a lot like Brad Pitt. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I guess so. And I was like, maybe this is a, a sound alike. And so I Google it. I'm like, I, maybe. And I Google it and it says, sure enough, it's like Brad Pitt lends his voice to Joe Biden ad that airs during the world series. <laughs> I was like, what? And it had aired, I guess, on Fox. A lot. Yeah. I watched the World Series because the Rays were in it. Uh, yeah. It, it, it aired, it a, aired lot. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And believe it or not, as a huge baseball fan as I am, I wasn't watching 
uh, at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. I think I was. The Braves weren't in it. Yeah, because so. the Braves got knocked out by the the dang Dodgers. So I think I was yeah. still uh, pretty bitter. sore about that and bitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was wild. I was like, it was special. I was like, I like I like Brad Pitt a lot, but I really like baseball too. And so this it was kind of a perfect storm. You notice that Eric's being really quiet over there because um, one of the other things that he did on the side was um, lend his his uh, podcasting abilities to the Daily Burn. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah? And that would be Mr. Bernie Sanders. Well, that's uh, it's my show. It's a political show. It's just progressive politics. It's just named after Bernie. It's not all about Bernie. Well, well, yeah. well yeah, you know, well, I mean, I, I don't I – don't, I'm a lefty. I don't tend to get too political, but um, if, if you want to thank me later for lending my music to the... Hey. <laughs> Give Ruben all the credit. Thank you. I emotionally changed people. Thank you for yeah. doing your part to turn the ties of the rise of fascism. That's it. <laughs> Whatever it took to get the narcissist out, you, you, did, you did your work. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, and the ironic thing is the song they used, the title is Can We Survive? So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Poetic justice. I'm out here water, hoping you notice me. Feels like I might be sinking. Maybe I've gone too deep. Can we survive? Can we survive? All right, so so I was looking at your Spotify numbers because I'm like something like that had to have helped, like your 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 listens on Spotify, mm-hmm. and it and it doesn't really translate <laughs> translate very well, does it? No, I mean I don't think um, an instrumental track underneath a political ad is gonna gain yeah. you new fans. Now, if Coca Cola that I'm drinking right now wants to use one of my songs. <laughs> With me singing over it, then I'm sure that'll change some things. But or or the Muppets that are on that Coca-Cola glass, if they want to, you know, use one of your songs and you know a forthcoming. Yeah, we could uh, soundtrack. If we want to derail this whole podcast, we can talk about great songs that the Muppets would actually sound better singing than the original. <laughs> we'll have you back on for a special <laughs> special episode. That sounds like a, actually really a fun topic. I, I would love to. I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, so so speaking of Spotify, the one other thing that I wanted to to, to touch on from your um, from my Facebook and and Twitter stalking mm-hmm. was so you have a little bit of a issue with Spotify with your. Um, <laughs> I know where this the, is going. The, the the other artists might you might like or whatever yeah, it is yeah um so i i tried to um so this morning i was listening to your music and you know how a, after you are done listening to a song or you know an ep or an album and then it kind of creates a radio yeah 
off of off of that particular artist. Yeah. So the so the first thing that com- that comes on after your song comes on is Aaron Lee Tazjan, which great love Aaron Lee. Love that guy. He's been, he's been on the podcast. Fantastic dude. Love his music. His new album is fantastic. It is. And then right after that is Caroline Spence, who great. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Wayne and I are both in love with Caroline. Love Caroline. She's the best. Um, and then there is the next one is Sean McConnell. Yeah. And I didn't know I didn't know Sean. Mm-hmm. Great songwriter here in Nashville. He's written a lot of country tunes. I was going to say because it did because he's got <laughs> this is this is why it caused me to to pause there. The song that came up was was Rest My Head, mm-hmm. which has some Christ imagery in mm-hmm. the song. Definitely. So I'm like, oh, is he a Christian artist? And then I started listening to more of the, the lyrics, and I'm like, mm, I don't think so. No, just some imagery, um, yeah. Yeah. But then after that is, um, that's where the it gets... <laughs> Came off the rails. <laughs> it got derailed quick. So it was uh, like Leland, yeah. totally a Christian artist. Yeah. John Thurlow, totally a worship leader, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I just kept skipping tracks because I'm like, can I get something else? So, yeah. How how does that happen? And how, like, Spotify is being no help in yeah. in helping you fix the algorithm on this. Yeah. So it was. It's essentially a lost cause. Um, and I've. Uh, sent about four or five emails to Spotify and I get mostly an automated or they hide it well, but it's always from a different representative. It's never from the same representative twice. It's always, you know, well, they're, they're pulling their responses out of a, you know, a deck of canned answers. Right. And yeah. Cause they, you know, they're a huge company. I understand that they have a lot going on. Um, but my concern is that like I'm my reach or my musical reach through the algorithm of Spotify is being wasted and completely like, you know, I'm I'm not reaching new people because my music's getting tied in with stuff that's completely unrelated. And I mean, I have my theories on how it's happening. And like I mentioned, I referenced earlier that I, you know, I sang a lot in churches in Atlanta and I even, um, you know, I put out a couple of, uh, I would consider contemporary Christian or praise and worship music uh, records yeah. in the yeah. past. Um, but that's been, I want to say, 10 years ago at least. And those records are no longer on Spotify um, or Apple for that matter. And so I'm, I'm just super confused. And, and the artists that we're talking about, if you look at my related artists, they're like completely obscure. They're not like... Right. They're not like, oh, well, they're that's not names. No, they're completely yeah. obscure. Some of them have like less than 10 listeners a month. And I'm like, how is that related <laughs> to me when I, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but like I've been on playlists and gotten hundreds of thousands of streams. Shouldn't those outweigh one person sitting at their home that likes really obscure <laughs> Christian music? Did you, did you send, did you send the, the, the campaign ad? clip to spotify, spotify. and say <laughs> you know me i got joe i got joe <laughs> biden elected dang it what else do i have the problem here <laughs> um so uh, you know they're they're like oh if you create playlists and stuff so 
uh, th- that'll help inform yeah. the algorithm. And so I've been doing that. And my girlfriend started one and she called it saving private Rubid. <laughs> That's yeah. the name of it. And, um, you know, we got in a few listens through that, but funny enough, you bring this up and I won't take long on this, but I got an email from Apple music today after I sent them an email about my related artists on Apple because okay. they were similarly Christian, but not as obscure. They're actually people I knew from Atlanta in that whole scene. So I wasn't as surprised, but I was like, hey, I've still, it's been years since I've done any of this music. Shouldn't this be different? Yeah. And at first they pushed back and were like, everything looks fine. And I was like, no, 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 look again. And so they did. And then I got an email today. They said, um, we're emailing you to let you know that we have refreshed your music page, your artist page, and it should take effect in 24 to 48 hours. And I was like, well, if Apple can do it, come on Spotify, yeah. where y'all at? Yeah, that nice. All right, that's that's good. I was just gonna say, did do we need to like petition some artists that have these recognizable uh, playlists to 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 kind of help you with the resetting, so to speak? I would say it, even if listeners just add me to a, a, a one of their favorite Spotify, because yeah. I feel like the people that listen to your podcast probably like good music and you know listen to you know, somewhat similar, like the, I'm glad that Aaron Lee and Caroline are on there. Um, finally, cause I do consider them related and I'm friends with them and it makes sense, yeah. you know, or you can look up the saving private Ruben playlist and listen to that on repeat. <laughs> cause I added people right. in there that sound like me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do that. So I was just going to ask, so who else should be included in the fans also like for you? Like who would, yeah. Who would, who would you include? Yeah, um, I would say, um, you know, my peers here in Nashville, um, people like Carl Anderson, um, he's fabulous, good buddy of mine. Um, Kirby Brown is a buddy of mine, makes great music. Erin Ray, she's awesome. Uh, Molly Parton, I've actually done music with Molly. And Molly pops in there every once in a while. Because you guys away. did, could, yeah. Because you guys did a duet together. Yeah, we did. Which is really, which is really great. Yeah, that's that song has reached far and wide, and um, yeah. it's been great. think who else is you know those are the kind of and then you know parker is great we uh we've written together i think i actually have two songs on his uh that's coming up with him 
Um, so yeah, you know, those are some reasonable <laughs> artists yeah, related those artists. Are all, all good. All good. All right. So one last question on on your music. So mm-hmm. I know you've got a lot of different singles out there. I mentioned birdies in your introduction. I think that's, is that your most recent? Uh, tabloid world is the most recent. Tabloid. Birdies was okay. right before. All right. Um, love, love tabloid world, by the way. Thank you. Um, so is there an album coming up or is the preferred method of you getting music out there just putting out singles? Yeah. So, uh, I love albums. I love them as a work of art. Um, and I haven't given up on that, but in the current state of our music listening world, singles are kind of the way to go. And so, um, and also just from everything kind of getting shut down, I kind of leaned into that home studio kind of style. And so, um, Lately, it's just been, let's keep putting singles out. I've been working with um, a buddy of mine, Jonathan Madison, and he's been kind of producing, co-producing, co-writing these songs with me. And uh, he's brought in this kind of like, I want to say a little bit of like a pop influence. Um, He's definitely got his hands in the the pop and the R&B world. And so you wouldn't necessarily know that by listening to it, but he just brings that perspective and we kind of blend our flavors together. And that's what birdies and tabloid world have kind of shown. Um, and I actually have a new song coming out, um, actually next Friday called forever. Ain't that long that we also worked on together. So yeah, singles for now. Okay. And that's, I mean, there's no wrong answer. I think, on on that it's look you want to get your music out there so yeah definitely um everybody definitely go check out ruben's music all right so um so tell us what album what record you chose to revisit for your episode <laughs> so you know i was not thinking about the fact that this is a uh, triple disc <laughs> when, <laughs> when i picked it uh, Did, didn't I reply to you something like "You sure"? <laughs> or, that might, might have been somebody else that I that I, I responded to. Well, you know, I think when you approached me about this, from what I understood, it was like not just your favorite album, but it felt kind of like what was an influential album yeah. for you as well. And I would say that. Pretty much all the music I've made since moving to Nashville, I guess this has been seven years of putting out solo music. Um, I, I don't know if there's an album more influential on my music than George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. There we go. Were there any others? If, if you were going to go the easy route and yeah. pick a you know, 10, 10 song, uh, uh-huh. you know, we'll put it all on one record. We don't need three records to do this. What what would be some other ones that you would have thought of? Uh, immediately after sending that to you, I, <laughs> I had buyer's remorse, and uh, I thought about um, Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty would have definitely which, been. Which we've done already. So you would have sorry, said no sorry, to that. So I would have told you no anyways. Yeah. I could have gone kind of um, the guilty pleasure route and did uh, Maroon 5's um, songs about Jane, which huge influence on me, believe it or not. Okay. okay. Love that song, that record, uh, Rick Rubin, um, uh, produced record by the way. Yeah. 
and they kind of went downhill from there in my opinion like they lost me but that first record is great they never got me they never got you no they never got me that's a i mean that first one production wise particularly rhythmically is just insanely good so yeah yeah i i like them when they first came out that harder to breathe song was fantastic right but uh, I dropped off real quick. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, I, I did like "Harder to Breathe" quite yeah. a bit, and I still like that six foot tall song. Whatever that, that was on the second record. I think right? so. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that, those probably would have been my or, or um, the Brandon Flowers um, Flamingo uh, record. Oh, that would be cool. Okay. Love that record too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. My my so my my brother is a big Killers slash Brandon mm-hmm. fan, and. Um, you know he he keeps he keeps asking me when are we going to do a Brandon Flowers episode. Well, yeah. I don't know so. if you can have people back, but I would do that one. I think I I haven't I don't um, geek out over the Killers as much as I do for Brandon solo stuff, and I don't know if that was because there was an element of um, kind of that Western Americana in that record that mm-hmm. appealed to me, and I think where I kind of was as an artist at the time. Um, it really spoke to me. So did you like the last Killers record? Because I felt like it was more of a Brandon solo record than it was a Killers Yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely hear how he is steering the ship yeah. much more now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, he's great. Usually when somebody tells me what their what their record is, I go back and I listen and I go, all right, do we have some influences here? And I was listening to too many alarms this morning and I'm like, and I, and I say this in, in the, 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 a complimentary fashion, it totally has a George vibe to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You're not, you're not off on that. I mean, the, particularly the slide guitar and yeah. you'll hear slide guitar in a lot of my music. Um, and I, that's always just a, a nod of the cap to, uh, to George. The sun goes down That's when all the pretty people Start walking around They're all looking for some action I'm just looking for distraction Can't be all just getting home It's too many So before we dive into this, I I always have to caveat when I do a Beatles or a Beatles related artist episode. Mm-hmm. I have to do the caveat. This is my disclaimer. I'm not a historian. I don't know everything there is to know about each of these Beatles records. Don't at me. Don't get pissed off at me when I get something wrong because I'm coming at this from the angle of 
I'm a music fan. I love listening to to these albums, these records. I don't necessarily know all the intricacies of this. Um, I I may have a bass guitar and a piano in this room. That doesn't mean I'm a musician. So I I yeah. Um, so again, we put that disclaimer that. If you're looking for a Beatles-related history type of podcast, this is not it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're coming we're coming at this from an angle of fans of of George and, and fans of the Beatles, and one of the reasons why I invited Eric to come on for this 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 episode was uh, a couple of years ago, Eric, you did a six pack of George Harrison episode which um, caused me to go and do a deep dive of George albums because your guests nice. were diehard George Harrison fans. I learned a ton off of that. Um, and I dove into this record because I think they must, they probably chose like four songs of the six songs came from, mm-hmm. came from this album. Um, but I mm-hmm. will say this from the from the 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 research that I did for this episode I had no idea that this was not George's first solo record this is actually considered his third record because there is also Wonderwall music which was that the soundtrack that was the soundtrack episode mm-hmm. or the soundtrack record yeah and then there's yep. also an electronic sound which I don't I don't know if I want to listen to it because I yeah it was on uh, it was on the Apple spinoff label Zapple which was like experimental so I I haven't heard anybody rave about that yeah record. go back to my original comments about Frank Zappa and you'll know why I'm hesitant <laughs> of going there yeah um, Ruben do you know either one of those records um, no I actually uh, as big of a George fan as I thought I was um, I was quickly informed by um, <laughs> some tiktokers that See, that's, uh, this what was in, that's what i'm saying is. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <that's> what I'm... <laughs> but this is no this is his third album because i accidentally said first album in a tiktok and uh that was quickly well it's yeah. corrected yeah i mean it's i don't think that's something people should come at you about i think it's it's widely they were... considered the other two were experimental and you know the soundtrack record wonderwall is is like a soundtrack record it's got indian music eastern music and so forth so it's not really yeah. there's no vocals on it or anything like that it's you know, those were experimental records. So I think, you know, unless you're being pedantic and in kind of an a-hole, can I say a-hole on here? Yeah, then I think, I think, yeah. I think this is largely considered his first proper solo well, album. And, and here's, here's how important they are to the history of George. So I just finished watching the Scorsese documentary, which is what, three, little over three hours long I, did, did either of you see it of course yeah well, which one was this one what was it called? living in a material uh, world living in oh, a material yeah. world loved it um they pretty much gloss over those two records like hmm. i don't know if they really talk too much about it other than when he is you know playing with ravi and and trying to learn the sitar and and whatnot which i think some of the some of the clips that they show in the documentary wind up on Wonderwall. Um, but they glossed over it. Like they didn't really talk about it. They really focused more on this, 
this album and how I guess he was kind of competing with, you know, Paul and John to get out the first post Beatles solo record. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. See, both of you guys are hesitant to say anything too, because you're going to get added. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll just piggyback on your, uh, disclaimer. My co-host on Pods and Sods, massive Beatles fan. So I always feel like I'm, yeah, I have to sort of defer to him as the expert. So if he's listening to this, he's going to be like rolling his eyes at whatever I say. Um, <laughs> and also the two guests that I had on that six pack, Brian Jacobs and Brian Joyce, those guys are brilliant. So if you get a chance after you listen to this, go listen to that six pack on, on pods and sods of George Harrison. Yeah. Cause it's really good. So, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of new, newer to George's solo music. I'm kind of like in your, you know, in your world, Ben, I, you know, I started to appreciate him. The older I get, the more I appreciate George singularly, yeah. you know, in his solo work. So I don't know the exact dates of the timelines and so forth, right? I think, you know, this this was obviously the, the biggest selling Beatles solo album out of the gate. My Sweet Lord yeah. was the number one single. You know, the other two guys didn't have that, you know, and I think there probably was, you know... Um, if if either of you guys are Kiss fans, right? There was this thing, there was this dynamic in Kiss when they released those four solo albums. Like up until that point, we had all heard Paul and Gene and Paul and Gene. They were all Paul and Gene songs. So Ace's Ace's record is the one that sold the most because people yeah. were thirsty for well, what's this guy got to say, right? So I yeah. think there's a little bit of that with George because you know he, you know his his trajectory of as a songwriter. You know he started you know. Uh, don't bother me, right? These little songs, you know, one every record or two or three, and then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, something, and here comes a sun, and holy shit, what is this guy doing, right? So by the time they get to the sort of proper solo albums, plus he has this, like, tranche of songs he's been writing, you know, and there's dispute over whether, you know, Paul and uh, John... Now I mentioned Kiss, I'm going to say Paul and Gene one of these times, actually. <laughs> Paul and John were, uh, you know rejecting them i think there's debate around that or whatever it's kind of maybe a misconception i don't fully know but he definitely had an archive he had like a stockpile of stuff you know and if you you know sorry i'm going off a little bit here but you know if you listen if you listen to that some of the stuff on that let it be you know he was the one that walked out first right like he there even seems to be like he was a bit itching he had all these songs in his satchel over his shoulder and you know they weren't being realized the way he wanted him to be in the Beatles. So he started, you know, first chance he got sounds like to your question or point, you know, he was the first one out of the gate to, you know, to put out a record to show what he could really do. And we could certainly talk about all that stuff. Cause there's a yeah. lot, there's a lot in there. Right. I feel like he was um, always looked at as the kid and he was trying to prove something to mom and dad. You know, yeah, there were. I, I heard an interesting point in researching this on another podcast, and I can't remember which one it was, so forgive me. Um, yeah, all the Beatles songs were credited to Lennon and McCartney, uh, so they would have they made that determination together early on, right? Which means if you think about it, they would have had a conversation, you know, should we include the other two guys, and they chose right. they chose no. Not to. Right? So, you know, George and Ringo carried that, you know, um, throughout, you know, that sort of that defined a relationship out of the gate, which I, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I sometimes view George as like um, the Michael Anthony 
of the Beatles, you know, because they're that's that's widely known that uh, you know the Eddie and and Alex kind of wrote Michael out of songwriting credits and mm. yeah. Um, so you you had mentioned that this was this this had done well commercially and critically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that John and Paul also don't have was out of the gate. This was nominated for album of the year. Um, John and Paul couldn't couldn't boast the, that those credentials. Unfortunately, um, the album of the year nominees included Carol King's Tapestry. And um, <laughs> so that that one. But I mean, I mean, he was. He was nominated with the likes of, like I said, Carol King, but also Shaft was uh-huh. one of the other nominees, and then the Carpenter self-titled record. Wow. George has a Shaft song on this record. We'll get to yes. it. Yes, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does. Um, all right, so I'm. I made the. So I made the decision when you when you brought this to me, where I'm like. So technically, there are 23 songs on this album, but we're not going to score sides five and six, which is sometimes referred to as the Apple Jam record. It's yeah. mostly instrumentals. Um, I think we'll we'll spend a few minutes talking about that after we're done talking about you know sides one through four. So really, we're going to score um, 18 songs. So sides one through four. So that means our top song is going to get 18 points. Next favorite is going to get 17 on down to lowest score of one. We're going to start this off with I'd Have You Anytime. And this was a song that was written by Harrison and also Dylan. Um, that was the one thing that I felt like wasn't completely addressed in the Scorsese documentary. Maybe it no. they, they just kind of glossed over it. But I felt like his relationship with Dylan, they didn't really cover it until we get to the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. So, because I, I feel like there's a lot of songs on on this album that not only does he cover a Dylan song, but you know, there's this co-write. There's some Dylan influences on his songwriting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's that West. There's that Western kind of America. It wasn't Americana because that term I don't think really was being used yet. No. But it definitely is there. And the this opening track. I'd have you any time. I, I don't know if Dylan brought it, but this is definitely the sexiest song on the record. I don't know if it was Dylan pushed him over the edge, but there's something just steamy about this one to me. I don't know. Yeah. So that was the one thing that I, um, that I really grasped out of that, that documentary was um, he was kind of a ladies man. Like uh, like Paul, e- yeah. So so Paul was even at, had mentioned in one of his interviews where he's like, well, you know, he was he was a guy, which that translates into <laughs> he was he was a whore. 
Uh, <laughs> philanderer, I think, is the a appropriate philanderer. term. And I, you know, that that is a thread throughout this record. Like he's, it's this, it's this balance between his spiritual pursuits and his yes. sort mm-hmm. of uh, corporeal needs, if you will. Right? Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's, and we all go through that, right? But you know, he he wears it on his sleeve both sides of that, yeah. un, unashamed, right? Which I think is amazing. Yeah. To, and and this song, I mean, come on. If if he played this song in front of a group full of women, I'm just going to say that there's there's going to be some panty dropping. That's I mean, right? <laughs> and there's a and there's a few of those type of songs on this album that are as you mentioned, I mean, they're sensual. Like mm-hmm. this is a sensual song. Yeah. Do yeah. do you it's- yeah, go ahead, Ruben. I was just gonna say it's the for me the slide the slide guitar is so versatile, and I think a few have perfected it more than George. But something that the slide guitar can do is make a song sound sexy, and I just I think the melody he uses on the slide on this really just kind of pushes it over the edge for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, nice. We probably do need to talk about credits for 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 some of these songs. So Clapton is credited for um, providing some electric guitar. Uh, Klaus Vorman is all over this record on bass. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Alan White on drums, and then of course we haven't even addressed who's producing this. So Phil Spector <laughs> is Spector. is producing this record, and what sort of. It's sort of right, exactly. <laughs> Which I there's a few songs that that you can totally hear Spectre's influence on, and then there's other songs that um, I don't know if if maybe George won out in those conversations or if Phil decided to scale it back for some of the productions. I don't know. That was what I was hoping to gain from. The, the the documentary, which I just didn't feel like um, I got well, all the answers to that. Yeah, that was a bit more about his life than the, the specifics of the yeah. work, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, one thing I'll say that, that I think is a thread throughout this, and so I just want to throw it out here in the beginning, is, you know, like I mentioned that parallel between Ace's record, right? There's a bit of, there's a bit of George uh, proving himself on this record, right? And in a lot of ways and to a lot of folks, including himself, right? So one of the things, and and as we go, there'll be a bunch of examples of this, I think, uh, again, knowing what I know. Um, one of the things would be uh, collaboration and co-writing, right? So, you know, uh, right out of the gate, first song on his first proper solo record is a co-write with, with Bob friggin' Dylan, Dylan. Yeah. right? You know, mm-hmm. take that stake in the ground right <laughs> and then it fades into the second track in this beautiful way which is which is then their first the first number one hit i mean take that yeah yeah you know Absolutely. yeah it came out guns blazing for sure no kidding <laughs> well let's let's get scores and then we'll we will talk about that second song so um so this is my nine Eric, your score for I'd Have You Anytime my scores are all over the place so I'd, you know they suck don't come at me I, I have this one at eight. One of some something had to be one. Something had to be the two. Something had to be the three. It was terrible. This is cruel, Ben. 
I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is this was eight for me. Sorry. Gotcha. All right, Ruben, your score. I came in hard with a 16 on this one. Wow. This one just gets me jived. Right on. It's that slide guitar. Yeah. So not only is he a ladies' man, but he is also smooth with the guys as well with the slide. <laughs> yeah, he got me. All right. <laughs> Great. All right. All right. My sweet lord is next. And, and Eric, as you mentioned, that was um, that was the number one record. Uh, that was the one thing from the documentary where Spectre, he was interviewed. Phil mentioned, he was like, you have to release this as a single. Like George, I guess, didn't really want to release it as a single, but he's like, dude, this is a hit. Despite the refrains of Hare Krishna, Phil knew this this was a hit. And yeah, it was. Like a number one, number one hit, um, biggest selling single uh, in the UK in 1971, and yeah, first number one so- song um, by a solo Beatle. Yeah, it's amazing that there's like not English words in this, and it it hit. Like I don't even know what he's saying at the end. I know it's uh, you know Hare Krishna yeah. type language um but i i still to this day don't know what those words are and uh you know but it doesn't matter (laughs) so so i want to i want to throw some controversy on here for a second so i'm looking at the grammys because it was nominated for song of the year didn't win but i'm gonna i'll i'll bring that up here in just a second so for pop mail for performance he was not nominated that year so I want I want to see if if there's anybody on this list that you would have maybe bumped for George's song. So here were Uh-oh. the nom- <laughs> here were the nominees. James Taylor, okay. "You've Got a Friend" was the 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 winner. The mm-hmm. other nominees: "Ain't No Sunshine," Bill Withers. <laughs> "I Am," I said by Neil Diamond. Gordon Lightfoot's "If You Could Read My Mind," and then Perry Como's "It's Impossible." What's the category? Uh, Neil, Dime, Neil Diamond's out for me. This bro. is pop, Sorry. pop male performance. That's easy. Yeah, any of the last three, I would easily swap out for George. Okay. All right. If you could read my, my love. I, I, <laughs> I still love What a crazy voice. I still love that song, though. Um, anyways. All right. So let's, let's get to the song. Well, actually, so, can I throw out a fun little fact? Yes, please. Um. I learned in researching this. So again, talking about George proving himself, right? So he was on this path to this record. And one of the things that he was doing in 69, 68, I guess, was he was getting into production. So he produced like the Van Eaton's record. He produced Billy Preston, which included a version of this song. This song. Right. So the intention was Billy Preston was going to release that as a single. But once George recorded it and the label talked him into it, like you said, you know, that sort of derailed plans for Billy Preston's version of it, which is uh, a little bit cruel, but uh, I thought that was interesting. I just learned that. But uh, yeah, so that that was another thing, you know, that he was 
he was sort of combining all these ingredients to, you know, it was like this perfect storm on this record. And I, I think I had heard that he, he really wrote this like at the end of 69 and Billy gave it to Billy Preston and who had already recorded it. So by the time it was May, George records it or whatever. So it's not a long time, you know, it's only, no. it's less than six months since he wrote it to when he, you know, produced it with Billy Preston and recorded it himself. And, and Billy plays piano on this track. Yep, yep. And I, I, I think there was uh, there's quotes from Billy Preston where George asked him, you know, how do I write a gospel song? So mm. like that's not something that's not something George Harrison grew up on, right? You think of him, right. you know, doing skiffle or whatever, right? That's how that's how he grew up as a kid, and then the Beatles. Yeah. So you know, he's dipping into all these flavors and pulling into his pulling them into his. Uh, sort of tapestry or whatever, not to mix metaphors, but yeah. uh, sorry, ramble. No, it's all good. Ruben, what do you got on my sweet Lord? Well, I kind of going, I got a couple of things, but going off of it being a kind of a gospel song, this is, that's kind of a motif that I was picking up through this whole album was George was writing spiritual music mm-hmm. in the only way he knew how to, um, which was kind of rock and roll and, and, and folk. And then, you know, getting Billy to teach him how to do gospel. And I, you know, I think about where today's Christian music is and I just wish that it would be approached more like this, you know, they're too informed now what it's supposed to sound like. And what I love is that this had no preconceptions of how it's supposed to sound. This was a man writing songs to his God, you know, like in, in the only way he knew how. And I, I don't know, I find that very romantic. And, uh, you know, he was, it was kind of rare. Nobody else, I don't think, was was doing this. And um, yeah. so as, a, as, as someone that came from the church, I, I've just, it's super endearing to me to hear someone kind of fumbling their way through it and not fumbling in a clumsy way, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is just what I do. Yeah. And it being as great as it is. He was searching. Yeah. Yeah. And think and, of yeah. and, th- and, th- and you can hear it in this. Yeah. And think of think of how easily you said fumbling, maybe like discovering is you know like think of how how at ease any listener would be listening to this song and it's Eastern and Western religions married in this beautiful harmony, right? Like he's saying hallelujah mm-hmm. and Hare Krishna, 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 that's the mantra at the end, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, they're interchangeable, right? They're they're both, you know, two branches on the same tree or whatever. And it's so effortless in the message. And, you know, I'm an atheist. You say you came from the church. We both love this equally, right? Because yeah. the, cause the message yeah. is so, it's so broad and such an umbrella that, you know, it hits both of our souls. I love that. And I think George really believed that spirituality was for everyone. And, you know, I don't think he really, although he was influenced by Hare Krishna, you know, Maharaja, that kind of, Eastern influence, I really think at the end of the day, he was just really about tapping into there's something more than just us, that kind of a thing, and thought that was, you know, that's for everybody. And but didn't shove it down anybody's throat either, beautiful. which is really was really beautiful. It's wrapped up yeah. in a number one hit, a pop song that we yeah. all <laughs> we all have in our head for days. Yeah, when I got Eric scores, um, I was like, I gotta bring up the atheist thing with him because I'm like, dude, you're, you're you just gave well t- 
tell 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 what your score is. Oh, this is eighteen. This is eighteen for me. I mean, this song is incredible. All right, so let me finish my thoughts. So I'm like, (laughs) you as the atheist are picking this song that is this spiritual song, um, and and but it just hits. Oh, it's beautiful. Like 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 I I think what what you were you were mentioning, Ruben, where. it it can reach both those motifs of somebody within the church and also somebody that's with you know outside of the church cuz i mean you know i'm friends with you on on facebook eric i know that even though you are not posting anything about you know what you learned in the beatitudes look you're you still post things about the universe itself so there are there are those that you have your own mantras that you're living, and you know what? That's your spirituality. Mm-hmm. Even though you do, you may not believe in a deity, that's your spirituality, right? Other than Sade, but yeah. And it's funny when we when we talked when we did the What's Going On episode. You know when Marvin Gaye gets into the the more overt religious stuff on What's Going On. That's where he loses me a bit. So it's you know it's. It's the way George packages this here and uniquely him, you know, having gone through what Ruben said, you know, uh, with the Eastern faith things. And he was a leader on that. Right. And he continued his journey. Uh, and again, the contrast between these first two songs, you know, I didn't necessarily hear the first one as a panty dropper. I have to go back and listen to it that way. But, you know, from <laughs> I did from that totally to did. from that to this and to be so natural at it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Amazing. All right, Ruben, your score on My Sweet Lord? Uh, I gave him a 13, so it's definitely in the higher end for me. Um, but I think I've heard it so many times that it, it's, it doesn't uh, affect me as much. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I posted on the socials that I'm like, I don't know if this hits my top five, and it didn't. So this is my 13 as well. Hmm. And mostly, again, just from the standpoint um, – I'm a few years older than you, Ruben. So I remember hearing this on the AM radio with my yeah. dad. Not not when it first came out, but I mean, it was a staple on AM radio in the 70s, even though it was, you know, years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I am um, a little overplayed. Well, we can't, back in the day. we can't move on without talking about the controversy about this song. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, the whether or not he. Um, inadvertently stole this song from the chiffons. Yes. And he's uh, so fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I hear it. I definitely hear it. And um, supposedly he had to go to court with his guitar and play it for the judge. And (laughs) the judge decided that uh, he had inadvertently ripped that song and, you know, I feel bad for him because I don't, you know, I really do at the end of the day, he, he wouldn't, he didn't want to hurt anything. So why would he ever steal a song? Right. Um, right. But my girlfriend's reading um, his first wife, Patty Boyd, reading her biography. And there's actually a part in the book about this. And she says that after this happened, after the lawsuit and $1.6 million was paid out, that he never allowed the radio to be played in his house 
again. Like oh, wow. he, he's like, I don't want to accidentally. At least while he was recording, he didn't want to accidentally, yeah. inadvertently, subconsciously steal again. So if he was still around in the day, and we invited him to 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 come on as a guest, he would be like, "I don't listen to records." He might. I mean, I I I'm not as strict as George is, but I will tell you, as a musician, I spend a lot of time with silence. I don't. I will drive around in my car without any music playing. I know that's probably weird to hear, but that is weird. I find that um, I I need a clean slate to be creative, and um, I find that I'll my mind will quickly be derailed if uh, something really catchy gets in my head. Like I have I have songs that will play in my head for like three or four days if I hear them too many times. <laughs> I get it. I get it. All right. Uh, next song is Wawa. Eric, you mentioned the temporary departure from the Beatles. Supposedly, this was one of the songs that he wrote during that that time frame. Um, a lot of people have dissected this song that it's uh, really a um, um, aimed at Paul and John. It's a diss track. It's totally a diss track. <laughs> um, and and I have to and I have to believe that him having Phil Spector on as producer is also a diss to Paul and John, who were kind of critical of Spector when he was involved with Let It Be. Is that is that pretty accurate? Can we read into that? I'll say I never thought about him using Phil as a diss, but I could see that. Yeah. When I posted on the socials that, uh, you know, that I was scoring this, uh, there's a lot of vitriol for Wawa. There's a lot of people who don't like this song. A couple of people said on, on Facebook, this is going to be their one. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, yeah. And I don't, I don't have that vitriol. I, I kind of like this song, especially knowing that it is a little bit of a diss song. So yeah, I give them kudos for the diss. I, um, as a musician, like purely music behind the song, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Um, the chord progression and, um, it definitely has the Phil Spector wall of sound. It's, I mean, it's probably the loudest song on the record if I yeah. do say so. And, um, there is something really special though, when at the very end, it comes back around to the like major one at the end and wah, wah. like there's something very kind of soothing. So it, it definitely like as a songwriter, he wrote a song describing what he's talking about the wah, wah, the constant yep. yapping. And it, it's, it, I feel like I, I'd sometimes only listen to songs that make me, feel good i don't like to listen to songs that make me kind of like cringe too much 
But as I've gotten more mature as a songwriter, I, I realize what's going on. And that's the songwriter has created what he's wanting or she's wanting you to feel. And I think George encapsulates this in his in the song. You're supposed to kind of not like it, I think. Yeah. And, and the other thing on this is this is one of those moments where you get all of these grade A musicians who I feel were pushing one another to rise to a different level. I mean, the, the, the fact that, so here, here are some of the people that are on this, on this particular track. You got Eric Clapton on guitar. You've got Billy Preston and Gary Wright who are playing keyboards. Um, you've got a couple members of Badfinger that are on here. You've got <laughs> Klaus Vorman. You've got Ringo on the drums. Um, Mike Gibbons uh, from Badfinger is playing the tambourine. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on on this, and I feel like I, I won't say that I feel like they were trying to best one another, but I feel like they were pushing one another. Yeah. And musically, yeah, this this song is just a wall of sound to, you know, I mean, th there's no getting around that. Um, and I just, and I dig it. I know uh, my, my score, my score is a 15, so I'm way higher than you guys and definitely way higher than our Facebook friends who are going to, I'm sure just going to give me a tongue lashing after this episode comes out. Um, but I, I dig it. Awesome. Yeah. I went, I went a little lower than you. I went with a nine on this one. Cause you know, again, it's not the one I'm going to want to listen to all the time, but also feel like as a songwriter, I appreciate what he did with this. Yeah. Eric, your score on, on Wawa. Um, I got this one at 13. Dang. Yeah. The, and I love what you said about it, Ruben. I'm going to listen to it the way through through the way you described it there about it sort of causing, you know, discomfort or that's probably not the right word, but you know, like you said, deliberately going for something like that. There's um, dissonance. Yeah. 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 And you, you know, you guys are you're talking about the this all star band and you know the talent in these rooms cannot be overstated, right? I mean, we can itemize all those guys, but like you just said, Ben, like they're, you know, these guys are all naturals. And like, you know, it's also this thing, you know, again, going back to I'm projecting whatever, just what I've read or learned or listened to. But, you know, you know, if you're George Harrison coming out of the Beatles, you know, why not get the best cats you can possibly get and jam with them, right? And, you know, be collaborative where you've been sort of pushed aside a little bit on the collaboration um, aspect of being in a band. Now he's, you know, he's got, you know, a who's who, a murderer's row of, you know, the top players of the time, you know, and they vary song by song. There's sort of different key bands that come in and out, I guess, uh, and then other guys flow it in and out, like Jim Gordon's on some stuff and stuff like that, right? right? right. Um, I think Ginger Baker's even on the third record on one song. But, you know, like he's really, again, he's demonstrating, look, I can work with all these cats, you know, and elevate them. And and not only sort of guide them, but get out of their way and let them be the superstars that they are in this unique recipe that I yeah. facilitated, right? So that's why I ranked this high. You know, I, you know. And I enjoy the Apple Jam stuff from what I've listened to. I wouldn't listen to it every day, but, you know, this is kind of in that flavor, I think, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Pepperoni flavor? 
Yeah. Because I don't think the Beatles were great Sorry. at like just jamming. You know what I mean? I, I heard that. Um, I don't think the Beatles were great at just like jamming, you know, um, which is, I think, why that third record is there. Because, again, it was another thing like, look, I can jam with all these cats. Right. And you even think yeah. about the Wilbury days and all that stuff like the Wilbury days. He just he just stumbled into the Wilburys because he wanted some dudes to play with for some B-sides. And next thing you know, he's got a, he's got another jam band with these the who's who of, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the other two guys couldn't do that. Nope. <laughs> right. Nope. nope. And that Wilbury's <laughs> record, man, I I go back to that like every six months. Yeah. I'll speak to something on jamming because I'm not a jammer myself and I I think because I'm not the most um, you know fluent guitarist or pianist to be able to really hang I feel like I would be kind of holding everybody back and I'm not dissing Paul or John musically but George like was so proficient at guitar that I think he could jam. And I do find sometimes that who you're with will dictate whether you're jamming or not. And I, I, I think you're right that he was really, he got to kind of explore more because these other guys are, they're jammers too and they can hang. And, you know, John and Paul were like, well, let's get in the room and let's write another song, <laughs> you know? So, cause that, that's what I think what it had become to them. Yeah. They but were, I mean, they're, they were they're methodical. Great. They were methodical yes. about about the process. Yeah. yeah, and George wanted to feel. Which is interesting because you there's that clip of George Martin talking about George Harrison's uh, songwriting where he's he uses the phrase like he was careful with every stitch, like on the canvas. Like George was very particular and yet he could like jam out on things like this and you know, um, let other guys take the lead, you know, like I heard an interview with Peter Frampton where, you know, he just started playing rhythm guitar and George likes correct. Oh no, no, you play lead. I'm playing rhythm. Like, he, yeah. you know, he was even that, like he had that, that humility. Of, no, this guy, I want, that's the flavor I want on my record. You do what you do. Right. Yeah. yeah. He wanted a slice of humble pie. That's right. There you go. <laughs> that's right. There we go. Love it. All right. Uh, next song is, isn't it a pity version one? Distinguish because there are two versions of Isn't It a Pity. This is the first one. This clocks in at over seven minutes. We'll talk about the <laughs> second one coming up. In many countries around the world, this song was considered the double A side with My Sweet Lord. So, oh. so if you if you see in in Billboard magazine from um, you know from 1970, Billboard listed it with My Sweet Lord. Um, as the the you know the chart topper that it was, I'm surprised they could fit it on. The <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't. They did. This was essentially the B side to My Sweet Lord, but they called it a double A side. Okay. Yeah. Um, Still, even if it's just on one side, <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. seven and a half minutes. Right. Song. Right. I'm sure there was a singles version, but yeah. Um, 
one thing that I that I got from the research was this song had been included or been provided to be included for Sgt. Pepper's. That's how long this one had been around. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely something that he kind of polished off. And I mean, you listen to the song and you're like, how, how was this not included on any of those last Beatles records? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like if we were, if we were scoring the white album, for instance, I know a lot of people really love the white album. I'm not one of those people. Um, I think that there are some really great gems on the white album, but if you put this on the white album, this would probably be in my top five on the white album. Hmm. Yeah. There, there's apparently, if you, I haven't tried to find it yet, but apparently there's some footage of the Beatles rehearsing it. Isn't it a pity? Interesting. But yeah, it got canned. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know if this is just um, uh, a myth out there, but somebody, something that I read, said that he had thought about giving this song to Sinatra at one point. Wow. Hmm. Anyways, would have loved to have heard Sinatra's take on this one. Dang. Yeah, this song, this song means a lot to me. And, um, I, when I first listened to this album, I instantly gravitated to this song. And I think as far as songs that I've covered the most, in like a live setting, I think this is number one for me. I've played this song uh, more than more than any other song. Do you play the seven minute version or the version two three and a half minute version? <laughs> I do my own abbreviated version okay. of it. You're doing um, the, the singles edit version. Yeah, I basically just shorten the end um, and get to the uh, get to the na na nas. At the end, right? Do, do Which, you have do you have many people that start singing "Hey Jude" at that point? Uh, no, everybody. When I played this song, it's typically a, a more quiet audience. You know, they're pretty quiet for this part, so I, I never had them sing "Hey Jude" because um, it has that vibe that. at the end of the song. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, he references it yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Going back to "He's So Fine." <laughs> I guess you can't really plagiarize yourself, right? Yeah, and I think probably because it's also fading out. Yeah, and he—it's just different enough, and it's over different chords that I think he might get—he gets away with it. And also, like, was Paul going to sue him? You know, right, right. Which the next album he had as the "Sue Me, Sue You" blues, which <laughs> you know. Anyway, well, that's another album we can talk about. Absolutely, but um. But this one, for me, has always just spoken to me. I feel like anytime I've played it, it's been a live show right after something has happened, whether it's, you know, another unarmed black man has been shot by the police or a school shooting or, um, you know, someone, you know, just some some horrible um, thing has happened. And it's like this song is just eternal. And it's just, I don't know, every time I play it, it just hits me again. I get emotional thinking about it. So, Yeah, we haven't really talked on 
the lyrics. That's usually what co-host Wayne does. Like he is the the my lyric dissection guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I I even wrote in my notes further down um, that I haven't really dissected the lyrics for this album. It's it it's more of the full on experience of mm-hmm. music musicality. Um, I'm not diving into the lyrics. However, you know, you brought up some some really good points of things that really caused you to go, oh my gosh, like yeah, we're a messed up people. And um, you know, the lyrics that I that I circled on here was the. You know, isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame how we break each other's heart and cause each other pain? How we take each other's love without thinking anymore, forgetting to give back? Isn't it a pity? Mm-hmm. Like that's those are the best lyrics on this this whole album for me. Yeah, it's um, if we can go back to spiritual music, it's a lament. It's like a yeah. uh, it's an old lament of it's a psalm. You know, yeah, it's a psalm. It's yeah. a sad psalm. Yeah. And I think um, during times of mourning and stuff, it's, uh, I think our culture has always taught us to like, you know, get happy again, numb the pain, move on, you know, it's not so bad. And we've lost the art of mourning and like just kind of feeling the heaviness of the moment. And you find if you feel the heaviness of the moment that it feels lighter later on versus putting it off and living with it for forever. So I think George wrote a lament that I use to this day. So, yeah. yeah. Eric, Eric, any other thoughts before I get scored? Yeah, I mean, just, just quickly, again, going back to that, uh, proving himself, you know, the Hey Jude comparisons, you know, this album side, like these four songs, side one, just incredible. I mean, and look at mm-hmm. the variety and the flow. You know, this is just another example, the weight of those lyrics that you read, Ben, and, you know, the the lament that Ruben's talking about. Just powerful, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, your score, Eric? I had this at 11. Okay. Ruben? It was the number one for me, 18. Okay, this is my 14. Yeah. All right, so this is time to flip the record over, and you already mentioned how, how good is side one. Just Side two's not bad either. <laughs> side two's not bad either. Yeah, this, this first one, this first record, uh, pretty dang good. All right, What Is Life? That's, in, that's the uh, first song off of side two. also was the second single off the record it was also a top 10 song in the states and um yeah it's it's great this song is just so happy like it's a, it's such a romantic song and like it makes me want to go run off and get married in the woods like that's <laughs> what it it makes me feel 
you know, and it's kind of this song of like, where would I be without you is essentially like, what is love? What is life if you're not in it? And I think that's such a cool, like, has that been said before? Maybe, but like the way he says it is just, I believe him. I, I feel it and I want to act on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the, the cool thing with the lyrics on this is you can interpret it a couple different ways. So mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to interpret that with the, you know, the, the, the love of your life, go get married. That's one way of looking at it. I think the other thing is this is also going back to what we were talking about with the previous song where it's a, it's a Psalm. This, this mm-hmm. could be one of those Psalms where it's like, I'm, I'm praising you and what would I do without your love? And yeah. you know, your, your eyes are looking upward. Yeah, I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. I'm I'm sure it was both for him when he wrote it. Wayne will be so proud of me that I threw that out as a <laughs> lyrical interpretation. Good job. I've, I've learned well from Wayne. There we go. I love the opening guitar hook on it. The <sighs> yeah, it's incredible. It's so good. good. It's so good. And the the orchestration behind it. This one feels big, but it doesn't get overwhelming at the same time and the distant kind of drums to it almost like a motown drum um sound to it um i pick up some motown influence in this record and this is one of them that i that i definitely hear it yeah do you think that's more from uh phil Spector or more from george do you hear that more in the production or more in the the i mean phil phil definitely created a lot of that music that would have influenced this. So I don't know. That's hard to say. That might've been Phil, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You go back and listen. So I think one thing on this record that, that does not exist, like we kind of know who the players are. We know who the players are on each track, right? If you get into it, but like there isn't necessarily a log, you know, I don't think on this record where, you know, this day they recorded this and that and the other, right? Mm-hmm. Where some of the other Beatles stuff, there's, you know, they have a real clear, you know, uh, whatever you call that log is the word I'm using, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is George playing that opening guitar thing, if I'm not mistaken, that that fuzz tone thing that you just did. Really. Yeah. And I mean, who I grew up hearing that and not, not fully grasping that that was George, right? Or this song. It just is out any ethos. You hear it in commercial, not commercials, but you hear it in the world, right? Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then once you sort of affix it to this song, for me anyway, and just the pure joy of it, like you say, Ruben, you know, they put out a video for this song a couple of years ago. I was going to say that, yeah. The George it's Harrison so estate is really good at re-releasing things and they just did a, an animated video for John's birthday and stuff like that. Um, you know, they... They did a, I think, a stereo version of All Things Must Pass recently yeah. too, right? Yep. Yeah. And that video, Ruben, it's like this this lovely lady in yellow, and she sort of starts off dancing through a schoolyard, and just it's just pure joy and exuberance. And then she meets a, a guy in yellow, and they're dancing into woods. It's, it's absolutely yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's so good. It captures yeah. the feeling of the song. Right? And the, and the song's 30 years old. And how dare yeah. you make a video to try to, like, tell me what to visualize. But they nailed it, you know? 30 yeah, years they old. did. Try almost 50. Yeah, uh, right? Yeah. 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 The, <laughs> the 2000s haven't counted. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, True. 
I get this as my number two. Like this was this, those two singles are just too undeniable. I had this as seventeen for me. All right, Ruben. Same seventeen. All right, this yep. is my this is my sixteen. I think. All that's right, gonna be, that's gonna that sounds like the winner already. That might yeah. win. Yeah. Spoiler Dang. alert: This is our winner. You want to keep? You want to quit talking right now? <laughs> or do, should we keep going? We're not even a third of the way through. I know. That's what I was like. <laughs> All right. Next song is uh, "If Not for You." And this is a Dylan song. Um, it was issued as a A-side in Europe, but not over here in the States. Uh, it is a love song to Dylan's first wife, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I've said this before on the podcast. I did listen to Dylan's version of this. I love Dylan songs when other people sing Dylan songs. Yeah. Um, I listened to... The original version I listened to is alternate takes. Yeah, I love George's version way better. I will say this. The one thing that I I wished that George would have taken from the Dylan version was more pronunciation of the harmonica. Because hmm. the harmonica on this one is just pretty much one note. It's like just an extra background noise as opposed to dylan's version where you know he does kind of show off a little bit of his harmonica chops so yeah that's real pet peeving of me but anyways bringing that up uh, i can hear um george unintentionally singing like dylan on this yeah yeah i it, didn't even think about that if you listen to it, you can hear just the uh, like in his especially voice when he bit. sings babe yeah, babe. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's. Uh, it's. It's really hard when you cover somebody's song where they have such a distinct voice to not incorporate it. In like, you know, you can't help it unless you have the most distinct voice <laughs> in the world, where it's just like, oh, well, they're they're singing the song now. Right. It's it, you know, Dylan's so impressionable in how he sings that I think even George Harrison was couldn't help it. Oh, for sure. And you'll hear that on the Wilburys, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's, yeah. Yeah. Well, they all start sounding like... All of them do. <laughs> all of them Tom, Tom's singing like Dylan. But Roy, Roy doesn't. the unimpressionable yeah. one. Roy's like, no, this is, I got my own stuff. I'm good. I don't need to do Bob. Yeah. Uh, Eric, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you got on uh, If Not For You? Well, these the next two songs, this song and Behind the Locked Door, are kind of a set, right? Because this is the Dylan song, and the next song is about Dylan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not my favorite. You know, it's it's a good one, and like you guys said, I prefer George's version of it. You know, just in performance sake. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's just it's just George 
doing what he wants. Like he has the freedom to cover his friend Bob's song, right? And, you know, the one thing getting back to the, the band and who he's collaborating with, um, I hadn't thought about this until I did a six pack with my friend Brian Joyce and he made me think about this, which was, you know, George and Bob Dylan and the Beatles, they're at this unique, you know, level of fame. <laughs> You know, anyone else in the room they're with is going to be like, oh, that's George Harrison of the Beatles. But, you know, with Bob Dylan, um, my friend Brian used the word eclipse, like neither's fame eclipsed the other necessarily. Right. So they could just connect as humans rather than this level, this hierarchy of, of awe or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, which, you know, probably inspires him to, you know, approach one of Bob's, my friend Bob's song. Right. And to, to, to write the next, here's what my friend Bob is going through um, right. and write mm-hmm. that for behind the locked door. Right. So, you know, again, it speaks to that thing of, of his liberation that he could do these things, you know. So, yeah, yeah this uh, this is kind of a uh, slightly above the middle for me. I put this one at 12, if not for you. Yeah. I'm matching your 12. Ruben. Um, I went just slightly below at 11. Okay. Um, I love the slide on it. Like that, it's like one of those earworms that just, yeah, you know, that won't yeah. leave me for days. Yep, yep. All right. <laughs> next, next song is behind that locked door, which you just mentioned, um, Eric. So this was written for Bob to essentially say, get back out there. We need you. Is that That's essentially the, the, the gist of the lyrics? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, not to cite that too much, but my friend Brian went into it way, not that what you just said wasn't super eloquent. You know, he went into it for about 20 minutes on my episode, and I, I couldn't even do it justice here. But, yeah, you're right. He wrote it, you know. Um, and then the third verse basically is, you know, if you see me behind that locked door, nudge me out in the same way that I'm doing you now, right? Mm. Yeah. So if you listen it's to a that good third friend. verse. Yeah. yeah. Love it. That's beautiful. Ruben, anything on this? No, you know, um, this one you can hear – the Western influence and the Americana, the uh, the swing. I could like, totally hear the band playing this song. Mm-hmm. Of oh, the band. The band. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Eric. What's your score? Um, I have this one at fifteen. Okay. Wow. Uh, Ruben, your score. This one doesn't stick with me as much. Um, I got it way down at six, but it's because I, I have to put some down low. Yeah, it's hard, yeah. right? I know. Yeah. I know. I, know. Sorry, I feel terrible guys. at my one. I feel terrible at my one when we get there. I'm going to openly weep. I actually don't feel bad about my one. It's the one nah. song on this album that I do not like. So we'll, mm. we'll talk about that here in a moment. Um, this is my seven. All right. Next song is Let It Down. 
you uh, you messaged me, uh, Ruben, about yeah. hey, are we going to talk about this one song that's on the remastered version, but it's not on the original? Um, so I'll just throw this out: there is an original guitar and vocal version of "Let It Down" on the remastered version, which is also great. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. I think I might like that version better than this one, and it probably that probably skewed my scoring a little bit. Uh, yeah, caused, caused a little bias for for that. Uh, this is my second favorite song on the record. I really dig this song a lot. This was also written for the Beatles. It was supposed to be on Let It Be from what I from what I read, and this was also something that they they turned down. Um, and this is I don't know, I feel like this is another it's another panty dropper. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I Well, yeah, cuz I mean, lyrically particularly, you know, let your hair down like that whole Yeah. You know, come lay on the couch with me, let's chill. Yeah, for <laughs> for sure. For sure. Again, all you would have to do is just start singing this. I Yeah. Um, I haven't done my research to really think about this, but I'm assuming it happened after, but the, the let it down, um, acoustic version, it has a Sid Barrett solo album vibe to me. Oh. Hmm. And that one of his records, I wish I could remember which one it is. There's a, a ton is just like acoustic and weird sounds and stuff. And, him kind of lazily singing these songs and the the George, you know, acoustic version that just reminds me of that feel. But the full version here, like I I hear I hear Live and Let Die, hmm. the Paul McCartney, like I hear the orchestration, it's the horns. But you, I don't know, just listen to it next time hmm. and think about the McCartney, which happened way after obviously george should have sued <laughs> i don't think there's anything recoup, he could actually re- sue over recoup that she so fine money i think he influenced live and let die with this song just a theory well, I, like, I like it someone maybe one of your listeners ben will remix uh, live and let it down yeah Let's do it. Mashup. Right. Mashup time. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, this is definitely a sex song. He's talking about her hair, you know, her, her yeah. hair falling all around. It's totally hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's a panty dropper. All yeah, right. he was a philanderer. You know, again, we're sort of bouncing back and forth between the spiritual and the yeah. and the carnal in this case, right? Yeah. I got this. Sure. This I love this one, too. And I think I do prefer the version you guys are talking about more. But I do love this version. I um, I have this at 14. All right. You know, I, I, again, I had to bring it down. It's, it's the seven for me. Okay. But I like it. Yeah. I do like it. All right. What was yours, Ben? Did you say yours, Ben? This, yeah. this is, yeah, this is my 17. Wow. My second favorite. Yeah. Wow. All right. Run of the mills next. Yeah, I 
this is an album closer type of song, which is fitting because it's the final song on side two or the first record. Um, this is. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember who all, who all is performing on this. Um, Bobby Keys plays saxophone. Fantastic. Uh, Gary Wright again on piano. You know, I had Gary Wright on Pods and Sods, and I, I do remember one thing I asked him about was uh, he was on Ed Sullivan before the Beatles, and I asked him if he needled his friend George about that. And he said, I did. I totally, I busted his balls when I was on. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, this is another another spiritual song, right? Yeah. I, again, I, I haven't really thought a ton about the lyrics of this one as much as I was just like feeling the music behind it. He does a lot of um, meter changing on this one and like oh. dropping beats, okay. um, which really I'm sure the band had a blast playing on this or they were getting really frustrating and know <laughs> when to drop a beat. And But yeah, it's totally spiritual. It's about, you know, kind of like, I don't know, kind of looking inward and outward. And I, I would say it's definitely congruent with the, isn't it a pity kind of perspective. Yeah. I, and I looked at it as I feel like it's a, I don't know. It's a karma song, you know, yeah. especially with the last couple of lyrics of, you know, only you'll arrive at your own made end with no one but yourself to be offended. It's you that decides. This one totally feels like um, he wrote these lyrics first. You know, it's almost like he was just having this poetry moment and yeah. decided to write music too. Because uh, some of the phrases, the way they end, they're not, they don't end in the way a normal song would be written. No. It's almost like he had to f- figure out how to sing it to fit it into the lines. Yeah. Which is cool. I like it. All right. Uh, let's get scores. Nice. Eric, what do you got? I have it at 10. Okay. Ruben? I must have just been going off my gut because um, I I have this one at 15. Okay. I ran, I've ran it up there. Right on. Awesome. I think the horns at the end and then the, and then the just like the musicality of it really got me. Yeah, it's, it's good. All right. This is my eight. All right. Well, let's go to side three. This is Beware of Darkness. <laughs> On the remastered version, they did include the first version recorded of the song, which I think I like that first version better. I feel like there's more angst on that version. Yeah, he's definitely, yeah. Again, it's very raw. Yeah, because the the end product, I feel, is a little more hopeful, and that first take is a little more, it's a little more angry. 
And again, as the musician, this one, the chord progressions get me every time. It's it's minor, and then it'll bum, 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 and it'll walk down, and it's major again, and you're just like, and it lifts. I think it's just a masterpiece. Yeah, I read I read one article of somebody that was dissecting it, and it's like, which goes from a C sharp to a D major, and then to this, and I'm like, I got to stop reading this because I don't understand anything that you're saying to me. The chord progression reminds me a lot of some of the more complicated chord progressions of the Beatles, particularly, um, uh, what is the song? Oh, crud, I'll think of it later. But, uh, you know, some of those, like, early Beatles where they were just super clever with their chord progressions. Like, hey, bull. Um, I'll think of it in a second what song it is. All right. Oh, If I Fell. If I Fell. Oh. Yeah. That kind of chord progressions and minors to majors and things like that. Right. Uh, personnel on this, Eric Clapton, lead guitar. Dave Mason plays acoustic. Uh, Gary Wright is on this as well on organ. Uh, Ringo plays on the drums. Um, am I missing anyone? Probably. It's pretty good. Fun factoid about this one. Yeah. Uh, I was reading through the lyrics, and I always thought he said, beware of mire, like mire yeah. as in like the muck and the mire. Yeah. The, but he says, beware of Maya, hmm. like M-A-Y-A. Um, which is a, an illusion, like, and es- essentially it's the beware of the illusions of the material world, oh, not yeah. the muck and the mire, but the il- illusions of, you know, what is, what is real, what is, you know, so I like <laughs> something it. I learned. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I just thought it was accent. Maya, Maya, Meyer, Maya. Yeah, I can hear that. Maya. <laughs> hey, let me. You mentioned about the chord progressions. Um, you know, one thing about this, you know, I don't know that the, this sounds, this record sounds like the Beatles. It doesn't sound like the Beatles. It's this mm-hmm. whole new, th- it's this whole new thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, um, I mean, we know it now looking back on it, but, you know, imagine you're a Beatles fan and, you know, this record comes out and you're expecting, you know, kind of what you've, and hear it like there's there's ingredients and then you get this record and it's all over the place but it's brilliant right uh, just amazing that he could do this and be unbeatles like like not be you know not not even rely on the things that are comfortable right to actually be brave enough to yep. deliberately not do that stuff yeah for sure all right this is my 10 eric your score i have this as a six all right ruben 14 for me. Okay. Nice. Next song is Apple Scruffs. believe this was the b-side for what is life um apple scruffs guys know what the the apple scruffs are i got nothing they're the i do they're the groupies they're the groupies (laughs) yeah 
Uh, they're the people who used to wait outside of um, the Apple building just so that they could get a glimpse of Paul and John and mm. Ringo and, and George. It's a song for the fans. It, is it for the fans? I think so. Okay. I could be wrong. But he's like, you're always there. You're always, you know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, Knowing that George was, you know, not somebody that poked fun. Because if you listen to it, when I, when I first listened to it, I felt like he was poking fun at the, the groupies. Mm-hmm. And But watching the documentary and knowing that he seemed more thankful about his his place in the universe mm-hmm. um i changed my my opinion of it yeah people would knock on his door and he would answer and like spend time yeah. with a fan and yeah. Stuff like that. yeah yeah so that's why that's why i'm i i'm not completely sure if i like this <laughs> because i'm not sure if he's praising them or if he's kind of ridiculing them and maybe yeah we'll ne- I'm, and we'll never know so um i almost get the feeling that he he wrote this when he was like early on in the beatles i don't know this for sure but it just feels like maybe he was just like fooled around one day and was like apples cross and like wrote you know a silly little ditty for them yeah. and then he just put it on here yeah all right yeah I don't know, but did you ever? Did, Not my fave. Yeah, no. I got I got this at five. But did you ever? Did you guys ever order the apple scruffs at Cracker Barrel? They're awesome. <laughs> next time you get the cinnamon apples, just get the apple scruffs. Next time you get Cracker. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good with with ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, this is my four, Eric. I had this at five, and again, I just want to underscore anyone that's like a super George Harrison Beatles historian, and they heard us talking about apple scruffs right now. They're screaming at their head, like, they're, "What the? They, have these they, guys? What they know? They, they're talking. They told, yeah, <laughs> totally are. If they made it this far, thank you for uh, indulging us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was number one for me. By the way, apple scruffs. Yeah, that was number one. Yeah, as in the worst. I didn't uh, like uh, it. I see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next song is Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, or in parentheses, Let It Roll. up who frank crisp was oh yeah that's the uh the owner of friar park he purchased that that uh so he's essentially writing a song for uh the person who i guess built the built his home i would yeah. i would never write a song for pulte homes um <laughs> uh, so 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 kudos to george for for doing that um what do you guys have on this one? Yeah, I mean the the guy that built the home, you know, he he was a lawyer and apparently very quirky and I think I think that he was very endearing to George. I don't I, I imagine he was dead before George 
bought the home. I would assume, yeah. Because yeah, and um, but uh, I think there were little funny things around the house, like the I feel like the light switches were little fryers, and you would flick their noses to turn on the lights. Hmm. And um, apparently, when they were looking at the house, the uh, there was a sign on the grass that said, "Don't keep off the grass." And it was <laughs> basically saying like, nice. enjoy the lawn. Right. And, um, right. and I don't know, part of why George bought this house was because he, he would like to sit out in the park, I guess by the schoolyard or something and would sit among the trees. And I guess one day he was strung out on LSD or something. And the security guy was like, you got to leave. And he's like, he got pretty mad about it. And he was like, well, I don't want to ever get ran off again while I'm having a good time under the trees. So I'm going to buy my own park. Mm. And so when he found this and I think the little sign, he always thought that was funny to don't keep off the grass. And so I think this was like a, a love. I think he loved this house so much that he wrote this as kind of like a love ballad to the, the creator. I love That's it. Great. So Frankie crisp. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Frankie. Yeah. Right. Let's, yeah. Let's just point out too, that, uh, George is 27 when this record comes out, right? Like imagine, just go back to where you were at 27 or 26, right? Were you writing? I mean, this one's a bit, this one's has, uh, has frivolity to it, right? But, you know, some of the heavier songs, you know, and the mix of them and the thoughtfulness of them and the combinations they're in at 27, that's just, that's just a whole other you know, we talk, yeah. we talk about it as if we're in our heads, we're imagining this more elderly George and statesmanly and so forth. Right. But, uh, yeah. he's a 20, he's a kid, man. Like when I was 27, I was going to see ECW in Philadelphia or whatever. Right. Like I, you know, I was not in any way, you know, at this level. Nope. Me neither. No, nope. Not no. at all. All right. Uh, scores for ballad. Uh, this is my 11 Ruben. Uh, ten. I get this at four. Okay. And I think I think I scored way heavily on the first record. By the time I got this one, I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta have some twos and ones in here." So yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> happened to me. As we go, my scores are dropping off majorly. It's, yeah, yeah, it's all good. All right, awaiting on you all is the, is next. Yeah, this is a fun song. Um, though I am looking at your score, um, Eric. So I know that you, you know, you talked about my sweet lord. Yeah, I would change this one if I could. It was, okay. it's, it right. was, uh, yeah, and I, especially once I saw Craig posted this, I was like, well, maybe I need to give that another listen. And uh, it's better than again. I'm not. I haven't lived with this record for thirty years. This is you know a couple years for me, right? So yeah. Um, I miss the boat. This is way better than I scored it. It's awesome. It's fun. Well, I was just I was just wondering if the if the the 
the spirituality context of this song may have changed now something for you so mm-hmm. it's not it's not about the deity perspective mm-hmm. okay. no 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 okay um Ruben, what do you got on this one well let's talk about the last uh verse <clears throat> of it <laughs> which everything has been kind of like you know you don't need a church house you don't need a temple or rosary beads yada 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 yep. you know um all this stuff like you don't have to do all these things that the world tells you to experience god but then at the end he says and while the pope owns 51% of general motors <laughs> yeah and the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us I mean, that's a pretty, like, jab. Like, he went from being like, you don't need religion to kind of jabbing at the Pope and the Catholic Church. Which is, go back to my comments about apple scruffs. Because I, yeah. Because when I read those, when I read those lyrics, those are a little barbed. But yeah. And George grew up a Catholic. Yeah. Thing. So that's in. You know, it's in his core. That was his initial yeah. experience. He's, he's shedding a lot of his upbringing and yeah for sure preconceptions and you know his eyes are being awakened but you know i've i've had a few friends that have left the church and they're pretty outspoken about their qualms and uh so i wonder if this was a little bit of his like his jabs right yeah. it doesn't you know you don't have to scratch the surface too deep to see all the gold at the vatican right <laughs> <laughs> It is beautiful, though. Touche. All right. Uh, scores on this one. Ruben, what do you got? Um, I went eight on this one. Okay. Uh, Eric? I have as a three. Okay. And this is my two. Just because someone had to be a three. I know. And somebody had to get a two. All right. Uh, all Things Must Pass. It's the next one. that this song was brought to the Beatles originally. Do you think that the meaning is for the band itself or is it more transcendent than that? Yeah. And I, I realized I said, isn't it a pity? There's a version of the Beatles. Um, I think it's actually all things must pass. There's some rehearsals floating around. There is, there is some that's uh, out there. Um, yeah, they, I th- they, uh, what I, I heard say it's on the let it be naked version. Mm, okay, might be. Yeah, this one, this song, I did a little bit of research on. They apparently went through this seventy times, and I watched someone uh, sort of dissect, you know, because you know that's the that's the story that you always hear that Georgia's songs were getting rejected and stuff. If they wanted to reject it, they wouldn't have went through it seventy times, right? Yeah. And this was a song that uh, they even suggested they play on the rooftop concert. 
And George, you know, George was a little bit like, I mean, do we have to film everything? Like that was kind of his thing. Mm. So he kind of, he kind of shot himself in the foot sometimes and he was passive aggressive and all that stuff. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know that that narrative of they rejected his songs is entirely accurate. I think it's partly true, but you know, um, yeah. Was it just too complex for maybe? No, there's there's a pretty there's go on YouTube and search this. Um, some guy broke down Let okay. It Be sessions line by line, and you can hear, you know, uh, Paul and John making suggestions, and George um, either absorbing them or not absorbing them. But he kind of isn't doing himself a lot of favors in the long run, right? And there definitely isn't any tension over it. You know, it, they all seem to be good faith actors on trying to get this song where George kind of wants it to be, you know, and then they even suggested for the rooftop show. And he's the one that kind of says, you know, he doesn't directly say no, but he doesn't say, yeah, that'd be great, you know, and therefore it gets cut. Right. So, um, anyway, isn't it amazing? We can sit here and dissect in hindsight, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, something that was just in the moment (laughs) happening. Right. Right. We're talking about intention and everything. It's, you know, in the, in the moment, they're just like, I don't, we can't make this song work. What are we going to do? Right. Yeah. So, and this is, and this is a side closer as well. And it's totally a side closer in, in my, in my opinion. But to add, you, you asked if you thought this was written about the closure of the time with the Beatles or if this was transcendent. Yeah. And I would probably say both. I think yeah. he, microcosmically was experiencing the, you know, the final burn out and um, knowing that this is going to change. But I think also he was already experiencing, you know, new, a new creation of spirituality in him. And so I think he was understanding that in the bigger picture, the good and the bad, all things must pass. This is another one. They should probably just play this one at my funeral. Because mm. it's just one of those. It's, it's so dang good. You feel it, and it's not the slide guitar this time. It's actually the horns. The uh-huh. that just uh gets me. I want to cry. Mm. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is my top song. Wow, awesome. Yeah, this is my top song. Uh, Eric, what do you got for a score? Uh, I just want to throw another point about this. His yeah. last performance on TV, that John Fugel sang show, whatever that was, yeah. um, that performance of this song, and he did like Any Road, that that's just amazing, right? So that feeds into this score for me as well. This is I have this at sixteen. Okay. Wow. And Ruben, unfortunately, this was towards the end, so I was running out of high numbers. So <laughs> it got a twelve, which you know I think I even like rearranged to give this one a twelve because it's so good. Yeah. The title track, mind you. Title track. Yeah. yeah, and for it to be the last song on the third side, you know, third side. Usually that would be the title track, first song, first side, right? Yeah. And I think this think. this goes to him, his transcendence too. I think like he in, you know, I'm, I'm sure that other people had influence on the titles and everything and order. But I think for him, like he had this transcendent moment of like, it doesn't matter what order I put these songs in, like all things must pass. You know, he just had this, like, I don't know. It's like this confidence that it's all going to be okay. And 
And then it also doesn't matter. And I think that's why All Things Must Pass is at the end of that side. I mean, way down there. Yeah. I don't know. It's like confident, but also just like him being himself. And it gives me warm fuzzies thinking about it. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, not to get too dark, um, but when you hear people recounting that incident of him getting attacked, right? Mm-hmm. And I, his wife in court saying that he was repeating, you know, his uh, uh, Krishna Krishna mantra, mm-hmm. you know, in an effort, in a hope, you know, not only preparing himself, but trying to calm down his assailant. I mean, that's what you just said there, Ruben. Like, that's the ultimate example of that, you know, of just, you know, like who could be that... I'm not saying calm, but who could be that centered or self-aware or enlightened in a moment of just just horror like that? Um, yeah, you know that's an ex- that's an extreme example. But what we were saying reminded me of that. You know, um, sorry to get dark there. No, I love it. But yeah, he was always saying that he was, you know, preparing for death. Essentially, preparing for this to be over, right. and. I don't know. It's one of, that's that's a point of view, and yeah, you're right. He had this like peace even in <laughs> the face of death. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And now that you brought up the point, and not to belabor it, but um, on that documentary when they talked about you know John getting getting uh, getting shot and, and murdered, I remember one of the things that. Um, uh, his wife said was she she always felt it or George always felt like John didn't get an opportunity to embrace that the the the, the death because um, it was mm. it was he before he was ready yeah before he was ready and also that it was taken taken away from him it wasn't in his hands that he was able to um, you know kind of give his soul or spirit or or what what have you to the universe so um, Mm, yeah interesting point eric all right uh let's flip over the side to go to side four so this is i dig love I did not expect side four to be very well scored and I'm looking at scores and I'm right for the most part. Um, I mentioned that there's one song on this record that I don't like and I skip. This is it. So um, talk me out of it. But this just just feels like a very snapshot of 70s of that psychedelic time frame that i just don't it's not my wheelhouse i don't i don't dig that um sound you don't dig love i i don't I just, <laughs> why do you hate love i dig love i do dig love no. i just don't dig this song about I don't love. dig i dig love yeah 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 i got it at a, i got it at two but it was also because i was running out of numbers so i'm not going to do much to talk okay. out of it maybe this is the is this the shaft song ruben no this isn't the shaft song i think um what was the shaft song I'm going to have to listen through again and I'll tell you. 
Okay. It might have been. Oh, I'll figure it out because it has a, like a a, a wah in it. Is it this one? Wow! Wow! No, it's not this one. No, it's not. I dig love. I dig love. Uh, I I didn't score it high. I think I gave it a three as well. I, to me, it does kind of have that. Didn't really think a whole lot about it. It was probably just kind of a groove. He probably had some lyrics and let the band kind of groove. You know. Everybody scores. I already said this is my one, Eric. I have it as a two, but you know what's going to happen after we hang up? I'm going to listen to it and be like, God, I, boy, I dig love is the best song on the record. That's <laughs> like a month from now, I'm going to send you a note. Okay. Well, do that. It's definitely the most elementary of the whole album and probably the least mature songwriting wise. Yeah. So if it had a hole in it, I think it's this okay. song. And your score? Three. Three for me. Okay. All right. Two for me. Next song, Art of Dying. My only notes on this one is that bass line. This is the Shaft song. This is the Shaft mm-hmm. song. Yeah, Car- yeah, Carl Rattle is on bass. He's uh, known for working with Eric Clapton. Um, was he part of the Dominoes? I don't know. I don't. I don't remember if he was part of the Dominoes, but uh, he worked with Joe Cocker for years um, and did a lot of stuff with with Eric Clapton. Yeah, that that baseline, just so yeah, good. so good. It's groovy, and part of why I didn't know uh, too much about Jim was he died young. He was thirty seven. He died of um, I don't know if it was an overdose or just all the alcohol and drugs that that got to him. But he was thirty seven, and I looked at his pedigree, and oh my gosh, I mean, he just played with everybody and is on just so many. So many hit records, so just a shame. The, the art of dying on that. Yeah, I don't have anything. I don't, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, but uh, it's kind of in the middle of the pack for me. I gave this one a nine. Yeah, I gave it a six, but I but I still like it. Ruben, what you what do you got for a score? It was a five for me. You know, I will I will say when I first started listening to this album, it was on vinyl, and I will say a lot of the time I didn't always make it to this side because the party would be over or yeah. I had to go do something. Like most of our listeners have dropped off after, you know, probably my sweet Lord. So yeah, <laughs> it's all good. So yeah. So this one I gave a five, um, yeah. you know, but it is groovy. Um, but again, there's it like, it, it's so tough cause there's just so many good, great songs that I, I just, you know, at this point, it's just like you're having to pick, like, well, what's the best of the worst songs? Right. Or what's the worst of the good songs? Right. This is tough. All right. Um, did I get your score, Eric? Uh, or dying, I have nine. Okay. And this is my six. All right. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Yes. All right. <laughs> Number nine. Version two of Isn't It a Pity is next.
forgetting to give back. Is a pity? And I wrote down here, and maybe maybe I was just um, this was late last night when I was writing this down. But version two seems to be more Beatles like to me, mm. even though the mm. first version has a little bit of that "Hey Jude." Um, I could see this version on like Abbey Road, for instance. Hmm. To me, uh, I um, maybe not. Yeah, you might be right, and then maybe this was the first version, and he decided it was too. Beatlesy. I just think that it drags. It's so funny because it's shorter than the full version, but it it just drags right along to me. And so I don't. I definitely prefer the other version over it by I far. Do too. Yeah, yeah, me too. There's Big a time. lot of the in in the orchestral elements and stuff, and even I, I do. I will say I do like the little instrumental break in this version. It's nice, um, but again, I don't know. Yeah, for me, yeah, yeah, but I don't. I just it it doesn't have it. I think it's crazy sometimes as a songwriter. You will just you'll you'll increase the tempo of a song and it just livens it up and like you have to sometimes learn how to sing your lyrics differently because they don't fit as easily. Right. Um, but it's amazing what it'll do for a song, especially slower songs like. You know, you can get kind of bogged down in the heaviness of a song, and if you don't kind of like give it a little pep, you're gonna put your listener to sleep. And I think to me, that's what happens with this version, yeah. And uh, how they kind of perfected it with the other version, for sure. Agreed. Uh, this is my five. Ruben, your score. Um, this one was four. Okay. This was my one. Okay. Sorry, version two. Yeah. You already had another version, so you were, you know, he was yeah. already it was already set up to be one. And you were fairly nice to that one, so mm-hmm. it's it's okay. All right, uh, let's wrap up side four with "Hear Me, Lord." is supposedly another song that he wrote as a member of the Beatles and the band actually rehearsed it and but did not make let it be and hmm. I don't know this is this is one that I can it it's okay but it it doesn't score very high I gave it my three um, I just kind of feel like I've I've heard the, the the sentiment of the lyrics on other songs and I just feel like he he did it better on a, on those other songs. Could yeah. be wrong. I agree with that. I gave it a seven, um, kind of slightly below middle, but I agree that you know I I'm sure there's been debate of this 
but I, there are some songs that I could trim down. And there's he recorded another what twenty songs or whatever, right? So I I can't even imagine. That's a whole other conversation. What should be on and what should be off, yeah. right? And if it, if you make a tight single disc, right? But yeah, this is one that would quickly drop off if yeah. I had to do some editing. Yeah, we had that same argument when we did our London Calling episode a couple of weeks ago, um, mm. where uh, if you would have if you would have sliced off maybe five or six songs off of that, I mean, London Calling is already considered one of the greatest albums of all time. I wonder if you would have scaled back those five or six songs what the sentiment would be for for that album and i wonder if the same thing is is true i wonder if there are lots of people who have not dove into this record because of how cumbersome it is yeah Yeah. i mean i was i was trying to find the the right word but it's a i was going to say exhaustive yeah because this is not Mm -hmm. this is not an album because typically when I'm doing my scores, I will listen to the album in full in one sitting. I couldn't do it for this one. And it wasn't just because it was long. It's just that some of these songs really are take you a little bit on a journey. And I, mm-hmm. I feel a little exhausted after a few of those songs, um, yeah. especially my, you know, All Things Must Pass. Uh, if you've ever had somebody close to you that has passed away, yeah, it, it it definitely causes you to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that person right now. Yeah, so I think this um, this last song, "Hear Me, Lord." Um, again, I feel like it's a psalm. I think he again is chanting this, "Hear me, Lord, hear me, Lord." He talks about chanting. I know that was a thing in yeah. Hare Krishna. And even in, you know, Hebrew culture as well. And so to me, I think about, you know, the Psalm where King David says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, or like, you know, that kind of a thing to me, it's almost like that's what he's saying. And he's saying it over and over like he would in a, uh, you know, a worship service with his fellow yeah. Krishners. And so again, yeah. And I think the whole purpose is to chant until you can't chant anymore. And I think that's coming through in this, but yeah, by the, by the end of the album, you're kind of like, all right, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah, absolutely. Just like, um, us doing this for two two hours plus. I'm, <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. Uh, all right. Uh, scores. So we're going to do Apple Jam next, right? We're going to talk about uh, that. No, we're Great not. Team. We're actually Oh, not. damn it. And we're going to talk about all the outtakes. and No? No. No. All right. Oh, uh, I thought, we mentioned a couple of them. Yeah. This, I'm kidding, of course. So this is my three. Eric, your score? I get this as a seven. Okay. I liked it as a closer. I You know, I, I agree okay. with you guys about being exhausted by you get to the end and it's... It, there's weight on itself, but yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I like it as a bookend with my sweet Lord to this, you know what I mean? Mm. I like those as bookends. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ruben, your score. It was a two for me again. It's probably because I don't get to it as often Yeah. at the end of the record. So it probably hasn't gotten deep into my psyche like some of the other ones have. Yeah. All right. So last but not least, let's talk about 
sides five and six. We're not scoring them because they're not bad. Like I, 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 I put this on as driving music um, this yeah. last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, fun um, on some of them. Uh, the out of the blue is eleven minutes long, so that that's a little exhaustive. Yeah, I prefer I prefer Debbie Gibson's version of that when she trimmed it way down, <laughs> added vocals. <laughs> touche, my friend. Touche. All right. Um, it's Johnny's birthday, which is only forty nine seconds long, but that's essentially um, you know a birthday song for. I'm assuming it's for John. John Lennon. John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's what they just did the animated thing with. Yeah. Uh, Plug me in. It is the side closer for side five and then side six is i remember jeep and then last but not least thanks for the pepperoni is there anything (laughs) on there of those five that i just mentioned that would have tracked high for you no they're just jams they're not they're nebulous like they're just but you know uh, for historical purposes we couldn't be more grateful that they're out there because of the lineup, yeah. because of the combinations. It's like, you know, the one, like I said, as Ginger Baker and Clapton, the Jeep one, I think Jeep was somebody's dog. Okay. Right? Jeep was the name of somebody's dog, Clapton's dog, somebody's dog. Um, but yeah, this, the fact that we have that is great, you know, and they're, you know, it might not be your thing. The, the one starts off with like a Chuck Berry riff, right? How mm-hmm. cool is that? Like you can tell they're just, you know, just dudes having fun. You yeah. Know? It's loose. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one thing we have. It's like the elephant in the room that we haven't even mentioned is the fact that Eric Clapton is all over this album, yet he was in love with George's wife this entire time. Yeah. 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 That's that's um, back to that thing, right? That's the like George knowing. How mature were we at 27? I don't want to speak for you guys. You know, could I have, you know, relinquished my lady? I know that's phrased terribly, but, you know, could I have, like, collaborated with, you know, the guy that, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, or would I be self-aware enough to know, well, you know what, that relationship ran its course, and I yeah. love her, and I want her to be happy. I love him. I want him to be happy. You know, it takes whatever age you are to get to that point. Some people never get to that point, right? But, you know, the fact that he was there... And not only like collaborated with Clapton, but invited him into these to great lengths is just yeah. a testament to to his self awareness and maturity and yeah. amazing, right? I don't know how much he knew at this point too when this album was being right. recorded. Right. I think it was in the Naissance, but you know, still there's there's got to be like I mean Eric already loves her at this point. And George is probably somewhat oblivious to it. Um, and yet he's playing all over his record. But I will say, Eric, he he courted the hell out of Patty. I will say he, I mean, he was sneaky. Not not great. But, like, if you read some of the poetry he wrote her, like, it's insane. Like, he yeah. was laying it on thick, man. I think he learned from George how to write a panty dropper. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but by the same token, George was far from faithful, and he was out there doing right. his yeah. own philandering, right? So, sure. you know, again, he knows, he knows what's up, right? Right? Yeah, because he's on he's on the other side of that equation, 
just as much, if not more. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, we haven't talked about "I Live for You." So that was that was the oh email yeah that you sent me, and we're like, hey, are we going to talk about that? Because it's one of my favorite songs on the remastered version. I really love it as well. It probably would not have made my top five, but I think it it's a top ten um, on, on this record. You know, maybe somewhere in the lines of. Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, it might have gotten a higher score than that for me. Beware of Darkness, maybe ahead of that. It's a great song. And I don't... Did you ever find out why they decided this doesn't belong? I don't don't know. That's what's kind of crazy about it is like, it's definitely better than half the songs. Yeah. I think. You know, but I wonder if there was just something funny about it was there too many other somber songs on this album that they're just like we can't have another one i don't know i mean it's it, it's definitely has that country twang to it yeah um it sounds like a dylan song um it honestly sounds like it'd be on nashville skyline um yeah. that could be that could be a reason too when you sit back and you look at the totality of the songs you might they might think like, "Wow, that's a little bit too," you know. Even if it's Didn't not, did you bad already do a itself. Dylan song? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And this one has the, if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like actual lap steel on it, like traditional Nashville lap steel, and uh, which you don't really hear. I don't know if he uses lap steel on anything else on this album. I could be wrong, but mm. I don't know. I think it's a great tune. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Um, usually I say after we do the track by track, I, I always ask, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? And I already know the answer because the Beatles fans out there are going to remind us, yeah, you didn't cover everything. You didn't miss any. You you missed a bunch of stuff. So yeah. um, so I'm not even going to answer I ha- that. I have a, I have a, a thing, a question, maybe yeah. a request possibly for both of you guys. Um Ruben, do you have a version of uh, "It's a Pity"? Isn't it a pity that you want to that you can send to Ben that he can tack on the end of this episode? You know, all I have is uh, live performances of it, and there's a version. I want to say it's on my Instagram, and I was playing it South by probably four or five years ago, and it was funny because I had gotten it was my first time playing South by actually, and I'd gotten bumped. Um, from my slot it actually cut me off mid song. <laughs> oh shit. Wow. It was, I, I've never been so embarrassed slash disrespected as a musician yeah. ever. And it was because the band before me had gone long and they decided that they needed to get back on schedule without telling me you have a short set. So in the middle of the song, the sound guy starts like cutting my guitar off and I think my battery's dying. And then he's like, cutting my vocal off and I stop and, you know, they turn out that's, you know, the crowd boos and they pull me off, you know, they're like, Hey, we got to cut you short. So anyway, they felt really bad and they're like, we're going to give you another show. And so I ended up getting to play in, I want to say it's called, um, St. or St. David's cathedral. It's in the middle of Austin. Uh, it's probably not St. David's it was some David's something cathedral and it's right in the middle. And it's got this, amazing beautiful stained glass and this nice like acoustic treated room and 
create a you know reverb and so I'm playing my set and there's not very many people there because it wasn't scheduled you know it's whoever was there and I'm playing and I decide to play isn't it a pity and I'm playing it and while I'm playing it I mean it was definitely one of those moments for me as a performer that was just so special but um, my wife at the time had videoed it and posted it later and I'm, I'm watching it later and it sounds like there's somebody else singing with me, but it, there's no one singing and it's mm-hmm. almost, it's like this weird kind of like sound thing happening. And I'm like, was it George? Was it an wow. angel? I don't know. So if you look Love back that. on my Instagram, maybe I can find the actual link and I'll send it to you and you can listen to it and tell me if you hear it too. Okay. But it's almost like there's this harmony happening, you know, natural reverberations, something. I love it. I love it. How yeah. Cool. All right. I already spoiler alerted what our number one is. So what is life? Average score of 16.66. Uh, here's, a, here's our top five. Uh, all things must pass. That's our second 15.33 average score. Third, my sweet lord. Um, fourth, we've got, isn't it a pity version one? Mm-hmm. And then rounding out our top five is let it down. Just missing is Wawa. I just missed. Uh, Y'all held up, let it down. Cause I'd, <laughs> I almost let you down with my <laughs> ranking. Yeah. We, we, we bolstered that. That was, that, yeah, was, you did. that was my second favorite song. So, um, that, uh, that did all right. Lowest score is I dig love average score of two mm. Mm. which I'm guessing apple scrubs was probably second lowest uh, or hear me lord apple scrubs yeah tied tied for tied for second second least yeah. well we nice. were in agreement for the most yeah. part so yeah we did we did good so Ruben tell tell people where they can find all of your happenings yeah um I would say Instagram's always a great place to start. I would say that that's where I'm most active um, and you can kind of I uh, kind of announce new music there and shows there and uh, when I'm playing baseball next. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about you, Eric? Nice. Uh, well, you mentioned a daily burn. You go to facebook.com slash daily burn. You can find me there. Okay. Uh, but also uh, pods and sods, which is uh, we're, kind of inactive but you can go check out the six pack on george harrison i highly recommend that i i mentioned i had gary wright on an episode interview i talked to him about this record um some of his memories and doing the recording and so forth um my co-host craig did you know a lot of harrison um not only did george harrison I know Lennon he did McCartney deep dives. I we know did he a, did, we did Paul a, McCartney. He did all of those, yeah. all of those like solo f- records. So yeah, he did a four part McCartney series. Yeah. We did a four part Apple trilogy where we went through every single Apple release, uh, which was fun. Um, yeah, so check that out. It's podsodcast.com. Yeah. All right. As a reminder, you can find all the old episodes of Records Revisited podcast by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Uh, we're on the socials. Uh, this is where I usually throw it over to Wayne. Uh, he does the Instagram. I do the Twitter and the Facebook and just go find us. You can you check us out there. And then of course, don't forget to join our Patreon. You can get episodes a week early. If you contribute at the guest revisitor level, 
You could actually join us on an episode to talk about one of your favorite records. Um, please just don't select one that's like 23 songs long. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne will have a conniption fit. Uh, actually, once Wayne sees that this is uh, over two hours long, he's not going to listen to this one. Um, yeah. Anyways, so go to patreon.com slash records revisit podcast for that. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Would tell you to go to a live show because we're getting back out there. I'm going to my first live show since early 2020 tomorrow, and I couldn't be happier. And uh, while I'm there, I'm going to buy a T-shirt of the band. Make sure you also go and buy a record, visitor record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are... Out. 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 Out.